Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hampler and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from, for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also AEW Rampage, Raw, SmackDown, NXT, Dubai, oh, pay-per-views, bloody premium live events, whatever they're calling them. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, I mean, roundup of the week, complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. As I said, though, joined by Hampton and Sidgwick to review AEW Dynamite, and where on earth to begin with this show, Sidge? That was completely and utterly crap, and by that I mean it's AEW. There was one incredible segment of pro wrestling television, which I will put over, and I will even use the goddamn word, right? Because there's a lot of people on Twitter whose identities are completely wrapped up in this promotion, who are having a go at us, like saying, no. I'll come to breaks, I'll calm down. And it's just like, just please, for the sake of your own health, if something you don't like is good, just accept it. Otherwise, you're going to be one of the weird ones in society. Yeah, the one that everyone looks down upon don't be that guy don't be that guy don't be that guy just i admit sometimes it can be crap it's not the end of the world if the thing you like can be crap when they this company tends to address criticisms and listens to criticisms but when i see an episode like this i'm really starting to think is this really the listening company is it because this was so polluted with tropes cliches lazy booking patterns so frequently, like, I couldn't tell what was worse. Either the Tony Khan's booking the show and he's got QT Marshall who helps the format, right? And he's collaborated with various people about whatever, but it's time to actually format this show. And he's got QT as a sounding board, if nothing else. Is he saying to QT Marshall, right? Oh, there's a lot of the stuff that we're getting buried for on Twitter on this show. Should we just do it anyway because it's just an easier life? And I've been stressed in the transfer window with Fulham, and <laughs> we've already got this established base of viewers, and they, they won't, they'll forgive us. The AEW sexuals will forgive us if I do <laughs> just this one week. Or, or do they not realize that people are really starting to think that this is lazy, incredibly fake feeling, redundant parody? I don't know what's worse. One of these things is true, by the way, and I don't know what's worse. They can't possibly think. I, mean, I just don't know what's going on. This episode was absolutely terrible. It's consistent with how terrible aspects of the show have been. 
over the past couple of weeks. And the last thing I'll say before uh, we move on, or Hamlet gives a succinct take, is that you could, if you wanted, right, start telling jokes and making jokes about how AEW's like format is getting very tired and worn out and lazy. You could create a parody of AEW Dynamite. You could create a parody script of it at this point. Everything's interrupted, or there's a beatdown angle after every match, or there's an angle alert because I know something's going to go down. Maybe, just maybe, with Eddie Kingston, Chris Jericho, when this match is over. <laughs> you can create a parody of an AEW Dynamite show now. You absolutely, one million percent could not, and I'm not doing the rules tinted classes. You could not create a parody of AEW Dynamites in February 2020. No, she was she was impeccable, right? She was incredible. The fact that you could very easily create a parody of this overbooked nonsense at times is really bumming me out. I'm in a bad mood to begin with, but this show did nothing to help it, and that's what your, your choice of escapism should function to do. Yeah, I'll start off by saying apologies for the delay on this podcast. We've just been so busy covering everything that happened. Mm. And it was, and I'm going to be parroting quite a lot of the stuff I said on the news today. So I'm going to leave it obviously to you two to, to do a lot of the analysis. Um, but I, I've never been more, not excited, but intrigued to sit in here with you two and discuss this show. And I, you know, I, I got log on to Twitter after I've watched the show on a, on a Thursday morning. And I often look for the your two's takes on it to see, like, are we in the same vein? Even before I get into work and go, this was great. And you two go, no, you're wrong. And I go, oh, yeah, <laughs> but I, I, I'm a, I was genuinely astonished by looking at Michael Sidgwick's Twitter today. And by that, I mean, I always think Michael Sidgwick is a fan of AEW. He was a fan from the moment it began because it was something it encapsulated everything he's been crying out for as a fan of wrestling for what 10 plus years Sige where you finally went as WWE's just gone completely sideways and etc longer longer but yeah so I'm not saying you're willing it to be good or you're giving it you know more than it is allowed you want you do but you actively want it to be good but at the same time I really respect both of you because with whatever show it is or whatever wrestler it is if something's wrong, you won't go, no, that's fine. You'll go, well, that's bollocks. The fact that AEW people, people quite possibly who thought about buying your book, Becoming All Elite, fantastic book, The Rise of AEW, right? Could say, no, you've lost it, mate. Or, or you're talking out your ass or whatever. When he's making valid criticisms of a product that for a while, I said this on the news, AEW Dynamite, is not and, and this not even this episode was the worst AW Dynamite ever hmm. because as Sid has already alluded to, there's been flashes, if not entire segments, if not hour-long bloody matches on Dynamite or Rampage or whatever you want to say, that have more than made up for some of the issues they've had. But it's been on it on a slide for a long while now. And I felt like, I mean, one of the bullet points I've got with this is AW goes full WWE. Andy on the news pointed out. And it isn't all run-ins, but including like run-ins and interruptions and, you know, even interrupting like interview segments. There was, I think, 18, 18 he yeah. said on this show, which is insane for AEW. I said they've gone full WWE and not in the good way. But There's no you, good way. Yeah, exactly. But what did you make of it all? Well, I echo both those takes, and that's why we're number one in the podcast charts, because you get great analysis and facts and stats. And you get standards. And that's why I'm echoing these takes is because that's what it's about, is about standards. Cedric's point um, about, because I saw these tweets as well, and we don't want to get bogged down in like 
relatively small percentage, as we always talk about on Twitter and online. Yes. But like the important thing with AEW is to hold it to the standards that thankfully it has set. If we weren't, then AEW probably wouldn't have thri- survived, then thrived in the first place. It, Despite a few uh, early janky moments, it set about like setting its own course as the premier wrestling show of the week. And, you know, we talk about the wrestling utopia. It should always be reaching for that, not just aiming to be marginally better (laughs) than the opposition's content production company. So that's why we're critical in the manner we are. And yet this one in particular, AW is the long-term storytelling company, but unfortunately the last few months, it's felt a little bit like it's been creaking. And this was the episode where a lot of it collapsed. Mm. The one payoff we got was that nagging feeling that I think we've all had and the chicken's coming home to roost a little bit in it. Like, there probably has been episodes of Dynamite where you've had that one or two segment spell. Uh, oh, this episode's dropping off a little bit. And then they kind of turn it back around again with something good. This was a combination of that feeling. In the second hour, over and over and over and over again, um, I got really um, dicey TNA, and I'm talking about the good era TNA, but like <laughs> TNA vibes of nothing being allowed to breathe and a series of combinations of wrestlers on a roster I like in pairings I didn't particularly want to watch. Mm. Not just the matches that were happening, but the ones that were being promoted and the ones that were being teased. And that is the sensation of like something skid. It's not just a case of like a, a bad week or a fork in the road, but that's the sensation of something skidding ever so slightly off the rails. I don't want this to be a sky is falling podcast. No, 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 no. Because AW is like... I put, we were like talking over the virtual desks this morning. It's generally good, capital G, capital G. It's the listening company, as Cedric points out, it'll typically address flaws, not in a way to make a mug of podcasters like us who care, but just to be like, look, no, we had this. We can't nail it every week, but the following week, this will be good, or this will be good, or this wrestler's going to burst out of nowhere. You're not going to see it coming. And even on this episode, there were flashes where you're like, ah, you've got me again. I like that. I didn't see that coming. But the bad habits are starting to become the rule rather than the exception. And I'd like to see that trend reversed as quickly as possible. Mm. I think this show is encapsulated by the final shot of it, but we'll get to oh, that in due course. I, yeah. uh, right, let's start uh, with the opening of Monday Night Raw, uh, uh, AW Dynamite, sorry. Yeah, uh, shut uh, up, man, you fuck. Because <laughs> uh, choo-choo, it's that for a promo train. <laughs> like, I get that people liked elements of this mm. and, you know, Cole and Britt Baker and all that stuff. But uh, the moment this happened, this this entire segment happened, I went, that's not a great start to AEW Dynamite. So the first bit was fantastic. Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, they come down. Um, he talks about, Cole's very confident in himself, talks about him being undefeated since coming to AEW, talks about the band being back together, the boys back together. It's a new era in AEW, he says. Fantastic reaction to all that. And then out come the Young Bucks to interrupt. Um O'Reilly's not happy, saying that he didn't need their help, didn't need their interference. Uh, Matt Jackson says, this is our company. We're the longest reigning tag team champions in AEW history. And this year, our New Year's resolution is to get our belts back. And they say, uh, O'Reilly and Fish, well, that was our New Year's resolution as well, to win those belts. Uh, No team is going to stand between us and those titles, says Bobby Fish. Certainly not 
the young bucks and he points at them and there's this awkward standoff between the two teams and Cole looking down the middle of all this goes oh I'm gonna be peacemaker uh and he says look guys you know look we're, we're, we're all friends here effectively certainly better than those bloody best friends cue the best friends music uh out they come um the best friends Orange Cassidy um Cole and Orange Cassidy get together they get in each other's faces Orange attacks uh, there's a big brawl uh, with everyone, and it leaves uh, Orange standing over Adam Cole, who low blows him and uh, looks like he's going to just murder him when inside Chris Statlander to get between the two of them. So out comes Britt Baker to attack her, curb stomp her. Um, she uh, super kicks Orange Cassidy. Uh, or, uh, Cole does the same, and she she holds him up, uh, hits him with the the hits him, lowers the boom, and uh, they go to do the spot with. The Young Bucks kissing Adam Cole on each cheek, but Britt Baker stops him and snogs him instead, and there's a huge reaction. That was nice, but what did you make of the, the opening segment, Hamlet? Don't patronise me. Don't work me, bro. Like, I felt like that kiss in particular, the Britt Baker, Adam Cole, we know they're together. I guess, like, the on-screen confirmation of their relationship felt like a tap you on the shoulder and look at this so you don't look at what we've done. It, that read to me as a tell, that they kind of knew that this, not this segment was unacceptable. I'm not going to be like so pious about wrestling, but that they would normally do us better than what we were getting here. Um, there was a lot, like you called it a promo train. You're not wrong. The contrivance of the music and the interruption, and here's the best friends and that. That's not even it for me in the segment. Like that might be the objective stuff. Here's my subjective mm-hmm. stuff. Baker Statland has been done. Orange Cassidy and Adam Cole was, was finished. You left. And you've come back. <laughs> Best friends in Elite. I'm done with it. Like, I'm done with so much of this. But it felt to me like they knew that Baker and Adam Cole kissing was like headline stuff, was gift-worthy stuff, was like stuff that was going to get people's attention. And it has on social media. Absolutely. That they've tacked it on to something that was like retrograde, like at best something that you could put in in a backstage segment on Rampage like, like, come I on d- guys it's just the same Malibu Stacy, but she's wearing a hat now I'm saying it was it a backstage interruption that just happened to take place in the ring <laughs> yeah, like, like is that is that brilliant point that Cedric makes of like lifting the roof off now extended to the ring itself <laughs> I just I loved this when Adam Cole said I was class in 2021 and it's a new year in 2022 because the commentary told us that he's been racking up wins and we're being led to believe that he's going to be a perfect opponent at Revolution Fangman Pitch. I don't think this has derailed that, but I did not like the distraction for Cole that I was given. Yes, yeah, Sid, as I was reading through that, you were shaking your head, uh, already intrigued to know your thoughts on this opening. The, the vibe was off from the start. I'm not saying the show was ruined because they put a promo train in the opening segment, but I was, uh, I was in a bad mood. I was in a bad mood with the promo train segment. Why did it have to take place in the opening spot when we know for a goddamn fact that opening segments and verbal promo trains are synonymous with the thing that you don't want to be? So you're instantly going to sour the mood of the audience. You didn't get the match that typically opens dynamite, which might account for a pretty dead crowd, frankly. But I don't I don't blame them for being dead. The show was pretty piss, in my opinion. Hamlet's covered the main points. It's very WWE. And I didn't like much of it at all. I'm going to try and approach it, therefore, from a different perspective. Think of what you could be getting but on with AEW's decision to do this. What they're clearly doing is going the long, scenic, circuitous route to Young Bucks versus Red Dragon, right? 
The idea is they want that eventual match to feel massive. So instead of just doing it, right, even though there's an inbuilt reason to do it, we're vying for Adam Cole's affections or whatever. Mm-hmm. They do recycled stuff with the best friends. They fold in supporting players, tertiary cast of the universe with Britt Baker and um, Statlander. As Sample points out, those have both been done. They are... I'm describing this. I've trademarked this. Are you ready for this analogy? Mm-hmm. AEW is tiki-taka wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Short passes, very little direct play, all towards a destination, right? Right. And so I mean, your, your dad does not respect it, does he? That's the thing. Nah, like, absolutely yeah. not. And at times it's like, play a through ball to Messi. Yeah. <laughs> Just play a through ball to Messi and you might even score even more spectacular goals. So this is Tiki Taka wrestling. This was a Tiki Taka wrestling segment. That was also a WWE segment. You could, you know what you could be doing instead of this, right? I'm trying to use my imagination here. We could be doing FTR versus Red Dragon. It's not a pay-per-view match, if I'm being perfectly honest. We've seen it on NXT, and it was really, really, really good without being completely great. Why not just do that? Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think, like, maybe you should do a little bit more New Japan and your booking patterns, and that's the biggest indictment I can think of of this bloody show. <laughs> Cedric isn't suggesting that evil walks through the forbidden door, by the way. That's not like... (laughs) No, 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 no. I'm just saying a bit more direct play. Hoofed up that Andy freaking Carroll once in a while. (laughs) Also, that's just reminded me, um, there's a little game that our audience can play with today's podcast because you told me, Hamford, that Cedric told you that there was one point in the show that Cedric audibly said F off to his television. Yeah. So place your bets now as to what that segment's going to be and we'll move on next. (laughs) Uh, to CM Punk versus Wardlow, we get a powerbomb symphony video package leading into it that made Wardlow look like an absolute beast. And, uh, well, the match was, oh, I'm, I'm terrified going into this segment because you know why I'm terrified. Because I've been in the office today, Sige, and I've said I feel like Jim Cornette with this segment. And what I mean by that is I loved everything except for the fact that CM Punk won but I know he had to win. Hmm. And I know I'm going against the grain with all this, but that's the beauty of, of this is we can have a civilized discussion about all this. So let's get into it. I'll talk through what happened and then I'll get you. No, I'm going to touch some grass and sign some bitches. <laughs> well, the only reason why you're saying that is because I'm in your head rent free. <laughs> uh, right. Let's talk about what happened and get Sid's thoughts. Um, Wardlow's power dominates early on. Look at him against the size of CM Punk, who has to use his wild. So he, he flattens CM Punk with a shoulder tackle. He overpowers him despite getting put in a, in a headlock and powers out of all that. Uh, both men sort of tease their finishers. Uh, Punk has to roll out to the floor. Uh, there's a commercial break in all this. Then it comes back. Um, Punk tries to start a comeback. He gets sent into the corner, hits a tornado DD or goes for a tornado DDT. Um, Wardlow just not, not, not having any of that bollocks. Uh, but he Punk reverses a powerbomb attempt, hits him with some kicks, hits him with some lariats. Wardlow won't go down. He's staggering. Punk finally gets him down with a springboard clothesline. He uh, sends him into the corner, hits that corner knee strike, but he's too bothered about what MJF thinks about Maring's side. He flips him off. Wardlow recovers. Power bombs him, and you know what happens. It's like a packet of Pringles. When he has one, he's going to have a few more. Uh, power bomb symphony, uh, two, three, four power bombs. Does the old foot on the chest. Whether or not Punk would have kicked out, that's up for debate. But MJF stops the counters. No, 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 no. 
We're not having to stop at just four. More power bombs. Um, Wardlow looks a bit nonplussed, let's say, with being told what to do here, but still obliges. I think he gets to about seven, uh, and MJF goes, right, now take him outside. There's a timekeeper's table here. Put him through this table. Again, Wardlow, not too happy about all this, but does what he's told. Powerbomb punks through, power bombs punk through the table, gets back in the ring. She looks like he's trying to get the count out victory. Punk just gets it back in at nine. MJF again yells at his charge to hit him with more power bombs. But as he goes to pick Punk up, Punk out of nowhere, cradles Wardlow, steals one, gets the three count. Uh, and post match, uh, MJF berates Wardlow, finger in the chest. And Wardlow snaps, shoves him. Is he finally going to turn on MJF? Thankfully, the accountability buddy, <laughs> Sean Spears, is there to save the day and he calms everyone down and they head to the back. Um, Sid, your thoughts on all this? Uh, my thoughts are I resent this show for being so bad or divisive if you liked it because this should be talked about more. I thought this was an incredible segment of pro wrestling television. Um, when Wardlow, and this is again, it's also informed by patient and effective and considered long-term storytelling. When Wardlow, right, and I know, but this is how good of a work it is, I know he's just been doing it to Seidel and some of the geeks, but when he did the fourth and fifth powerbomb to CM Punk, in that moment, I was like, well, that's the finish. Mm-hmm. That's the finish, because it's so ambitious at the same time, because they're obviously telling a story between Punk and MGF, but they're also telling a story with MGF and Wardlow. So the idea, this is a tricky balancing act, incidentally, is that they want CM Punk and Wardlow to look equally strong. So heading into this match, it has major dramatic repercussions like across the board, and I couldn't really foresee a winner, especially when they made the ingenious choice last week to introduce for the pretty much the first time in AEW history some actual fuckery into the mix. Like my, I was just... I didn't think it was the best match I've ever seen. I don't think it was meant to be the best match I've ever seen. I did like certain spots. CM Punk's always low-key worked mixed fortunes against big men. Sometimes he thinks he's like actual lariats are harder than they are or is um, <laughs> short on clotheslines, but he worked Wardlow magnificently here, gave him loads, sold him as this big threat. I think this is really way more understated of a storytelling match than you often get in the past three years when everyone's chasing star ratings. And I love CM Punk for reintroducing that. But when he did the Powerbomb Symphony, because they've built it, because they've done such a tremendous job of building Wardlow, because CM Punk's selling is so great, I thought, well, that's the finish. Genuinely, I thought that was the finish. And that's great because it wasn't the finish, but you thought and you were asked to think Wardlow's just beat CM Punk's ass here, Jesus Christ. How good is that going to do him in about two or three weeks or months' time mm. when they properly explore this babyface run? So all that was great. Can Aubrey Edwards not count to ten? I couldn't really get the, the full dramatic five, six. I don't think she was clear enough or the cameras weren't good enough, but whatever. The countdown tease was great. CM Punk ekes out the win. Hamlet will tell our younger listeners exactly what was so good about it. Mm-hmm. And in addition, when Wardlow was pissed off and he was just about to go for MGF, the finger removed from the chest got the biggest pop of the goddamn night, or the biggest show at least. It was electrifying. So the idea is you think Wardlow might be a star of the calibre of CM Punk, and the idea is you see uh, Wardlow to turn face yesterday. Fans are ready for it. This is kind of a triumph, all of this, and it's kind of pissing me off. And it's AW's fault. 
but it isn't at the forefront of the conversation today. Like a trifecta of magnificent performances, MJF Wardlow and CM Punk, they all had extremely different roles and it mattered that all of them performed them to the best of their abilities. Wardlow was really good uh, in this one because he powerbombs people for the joy a lot of the time. But CM Punk, in the short match they did had, had sufficiently exhausted him that he kind of wanted the job done, which was a new twist on Wardlow's matches, especially the ones we've seen lately. Mm -hmm. Like, why would he not want to stay out there and keep powerbombing Matt Sidal when he's barely been grazed by him? He's respect. He's putting CM Punk over by the very nature of thinking I'm ready to pin him now. MJF is, I, I feel like I say this a lot and it's probably unfair at this point. MJF doesn't get enough credit for dot, 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 dot. What it just means is he's awesome at almost everything. <laughs> yes. But he, I maybe never noticed until this point how good he is. He probably did this lows in the Jericho thing and I was too distracted by the things I didn't like about Jericho. I've never really appreciated how much he switches from smarm to rage so effortlessly and believably. Like, he he showed such necessary anger with Wardlow when it was totally unjustified, wholly unjustified. Wardlow is destroying this man. And again, a credit to CM Punk's performance because he sold being destroyed magnificently here. I'm loath to praise how WWE treats everybody under six foot. But unfortunately for the likes of CM Punk and Brian Danison, when he was Daniel Bryan, you're going at this job where it's not enough to just be a great wrestler. You've got to take beatings off Batista and Mark Henry and the like because you're smaller. CM Punk clearly mastered that craft in WWE because it was great to see him like be this guy. In AEW, let's say on another day, Brian Danielson could fight Wardlow and it wouldn't even really be about the size disparity. Mm. Brian would just figure out a way to out-wrestle the giant. This was a night of arm up against the giant here. And the way he sold being flattened by that one big move, I just thought was fantastic. His body was looking so limp. I was, I, I thought he was so sympathetic just in the way he slung his arm over his like prone body. I would have believed him winning this match and then being stretched out. Mm. I thought his like his cell was so good in this match. The count out to sort of echo Sidrick's take, really. The use of the disqualification last week had me buying the count out this week. My <laughs> head was going, a count out in a DQ in something like like sort of one week after another and both of them being earned. How ingenious is that? And then he gets back in and he survives it. We had the debate over the finish this morning, mm -hmm. the win, um, which, yeah, as thank you Cedric, for letting me have this one. Like yet another elegant lift of one of Bret Hart's best moments by CM Punk. Like he dives into the archives and finds another winning one. It's Survivor Series 1995 if you want to go back and watch it. Maybe don't watch them side by side because there was a reason why Bret Hart was the excellence of execution. I love, I love CM Punk, but like, you know, like it's, it's Bret, come on. But like the finish itself is a tremendous finish. Bret goes through a table and all he's got left is the wherewithal for a small package off a powerbomb attempt. CM Punk's, again, it's not just about what you steal, it's about how you do it in the context of it, mm. like the Derby Allen one with the one, two, three kids. That was genuinely tremendous, not just a tribute act. Um, and yeah, the, uh, the, the Wardlow-MJF exchange at the end, the finger right in the chest, that took me back to 2019, where it didn't matter if I wanted to be critical of Cody Rhodes on a podcast, because every single week, 10,000 people were losing their minds for his baby face act. And the reaction this got, regardless of, like you said, I think it's a reasonable point that Wardlow could have won this match. But then five seconds later, when the audience are going ballistic yeah. for everything, you're yeah. like, well, that might not have been for me, but look at how many people it's for. That's okay. It can be both, you know? Yeah. It was, a, it was a weird thing because it's like, like I say, I dislike three seconds of this. Mm. But I can also see why why it had to happen. Maybe, do you know what it is? Maybe I'm just so involved in this storyline mm -hmm. is uh, I, I didn't want it to happen. Like I knew, I know CM Punk has to win. Well, he doesn't have to win, but I know that this is the story that we're going to get with Wardlow and, and, and MJF, Punk and et cetera. 
So maybe I was so invested and the sell was so good, like you say, that I went, it was just impossible. He's dead. He's put the power on eight times, one of which is through a table. He's only just made it in for a bloody 10 pound. And then he's just, and they, they bastardize stealing one mm. WWE, but you know what I mean it's by technique. that. It's technique. It's having like wrestling acumen and knowing his history and being well-trained. That's, yeah. that's how you're supposed to read a win like that rather than, like a roll up and a sit on the ramp win. You know? it's, it's not luck; it's experience. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and and the thing is, like you say, I went, oh, Punk's won. And then the moment later, as, as Sid has alluded to, when he's got a finger in the chest and the oh, don't my hand, yeah, it's great. And I'll, I'm just going to skip forward and talk about this now because I like I want to talk about it all in one go. Siege later on, MJF comes out on the ramp. He's fired up. He said, oh, "How much Punk's going to be in a world of hurt?" Because of his fluke victory over, and I just love this. This the terminology is just perfect yet again from from MJF. A fluke victory over an oath tonight. <laughs> uh, he gets a big asshole chant, of course, uh, and he says, "Next week, finally, it's going to happen. Punk's going to take his first L in AEW. You want to see it? You want to see it? Right, fine. Next week, it is my dream match, to be honest, because we bloody love him here in this office." It's CM Punk versus Sean Spears. I mean, just, you kind of knew it was coming, yeah. but didn't want to believe it would. Um, I'm not going to pick on, like, why is Tony Khan sign that? Like, well, I'm just going to leave that alone this week because there's enough, like, inadequacies in the booking to, like, because I like the match. I like the setup of it. I, I like what MJF is obviously doing. And my favorite detail, and I've gone over this on other podcasts, one of the very first things Punk said, if you didn't have Wardlow Spears in your diamond ring, you'd be nothing. Wardlow nearly broke the hand with the ring on. He's about to leave him. Punk's about to deck Spears. Like, all of that was foreshadowing. It wasn't just a critique of MJF's cowardice. It was so much more. This is great. Like, I tweeted about the Piper thing yesterday. Sidrick's made a point about his Piper prediction. We could make a game out of it. The the seeds that they have planted that will eventually grow fruit. Like, all of this is so potentially brilliant. It makes you realise why there should be more of it across a two-hour broadcast. If it wasn't for this programme, I'd be almost officially declaring that this promotion has jumped the shark. <laughs> Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful too for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Right, let's move on to uh, Dante Martin versus Powerhouse Hobbs. Uh, we know about the history of, of Martin and, and Team Taz. Ricky Stocks was was ringside for, for Hobbs. Taz was on commentary, of course. I did like the spot where Hobbs, because I might forget to mention it, where he's beating down Dante. And he goes, this one's for you, Taz. Twats him. This one's <laughs> for you, Ricky. Twats him. And this one, this one's for me. Twats him again. Brilliant spot from Powerhouse Hobbs, that. But anyway, let's talk about the match. Uh, Dante runs down the ramp. He's all fired up. They brawl uh, on the ramp. Um it's a huge crossbody, uh, which sees Dante and, and, and Hobbs crash to the outside following that. Uh, and then Hobbs catches Dante as he goes for a dive. And it's a massive spine buster on the floor. Takes us to a, a break with, with Hobbs just beating down Dante. Uh, when we come back, Hobbs sets him up, goes to that torture rack. We were getting very excited about it. You've seen Andy Murray's uh, clip from uh, AEW Dark. It's just wonderful. Um, but Dante gets out of it. Uh, he uh, goes to do something. And then gets, in the words that we've assigned to Powerhouse Hobbs, trucked with a tackle. Uh, he sends Dante out to the floor, takes the referee. That allows Ricky Starks to stomp on him uh, as we go to another break. Dante fires up, uh, uh, gets a, hits him with some elbows, uh, hits a top rope missile drop kick. That it's a near fall. It's a beautiful springboard torneo to the floor. Uh, again, though, Hobbs cuts Dante off. Ricky Starks jumps up on the apron, goes to interfere, but who should come out but Jay Lethal to uh, cut and chase Ricky Starks off. Uh, and then in the this midst of all this distraction, Dante hits that beautiful double springboard moonsault to get the victory over Powerhouse Hobbsage. This is decent. Fell short of my expectations. I'm really waiting at this point. This is a solid enough TV match, but you know my feelings on the word solid. I just get a little bit bored by it. Like... This is the sort of match when you think of where the two guys are at this stage of their careers and the platform that they've got, like, I'd just much rather have watched a total banger, right, than have some kind of storyline um, continuity on the back of it. I know this is episodic TV. God damn it, I know this. Please don't think that I don't get this. Don't patronise me on Twitter. God damn it, I wrote the book on it. I wrote the book on it. I don't know, everything has to be a pay-per-view. I know, I'm sorry. I wound up. After the goddamn house, I know all of this. The match is okay. The match is good. I was expecting something. When you see certain graphics and you think, oh, if they give them such and such a time or whatever, it fo- the formatting of the show was bad in general. It followed a similar dynamic with bigger stars in it. It was always going to literally be fated to pale in comparison. Uh, Jay Lethal, what are you doing here? Because Dante Martin is aligned with Leo Rush. And you know, there are prevailing circumstances mm-hmm. worldwide. You might, and without speculating, there might be a good reason why Leo Rush isn't there, given ongoing global pandemic or the fact that he asked or 
instructed Tony Khan to publicly apologise in all caps, and he didn't really do it. Who knows what's going on there? Regardless of the fact, Lee Moriarty has teamed previously with Dante Martin as well. Uh, Matt Seidel could have come out on the basis of, oh, I know you've sort of left me for Leo Rush as a mentor, but at the same time, I'm still a stand-up guy. Mm-hmm. I don't need to see Jay Lethal on television. And that's like basically you're blind about six feet to Darius Martin, haven't you? <laughs> the forgotten <laughs> brother sat at home. Um, I, I, you know, this was a thinking versus feeling one for me. I sat there unable to feel too much compared to the first time these two wrestled because I found myself thinking, and again, this is going to be a bit of a pattern on the show. Oh, I'm over Dante Martin versus Team Taz. I'm now thinking to myself, Dante Martin probably should have joined. It would have been more interesting than what we've had, which is just in a kind of a dropped two week plot thread only to just have a repeated cycle of matches we have had this match before so if you're going to do it again it either has to be better or different or unique or like create something else and if what that thing is creating is more Dante Martin team towards tag matches but with Jay Lethal as the latest person to step in it's still repeat pattern booking just because you've changed one of the bodies and I wish they'd realise that because this is not the only offender. You know, when you add somebody to a group or a stable, we've just talked about it with the best friends in the elite. Just because you flower it up with slightly different people, it doesn't mean it's fundamentally the same thing. And that's what's happening here. And that, this was a good match, but the point at which it could have, the point to which it could have been great because of the individual skill sets of the likes of Adonis Martin and a powerhouse hops was lost to my thought process, having little to no interest, not only in this combination, but the ones it was serving to build um format you know and i didn't even consider that but so just made a great point i get pissy enough when you have two matches in a row that work a leg it's borderline inexcusable that you work that you book two big man little man matches in a row when you've just done a pretty epic one well this is what i was thinking is as you were talking about that intro sitch uh, about you know setting yourself up for a failure of a show i was thinking that and i because i the ma- two matches happened back to back and i thought well, that was dumb to do you know the, these two combinations straight after each other and then i thought all right, even if you go, they have to go there for whatever reason for the rest of the show, why not open with Punk and uh, mm-hmm. Wardlow, then have the Adam Cole bollocks, and then have this? At least you've got that slightly separated. Yeah. But, yeah, well, it's, it's, speaking of things that uh, you think, oh, I've had enough of, Chris Jericho was backstage, uh, flanked by the Inner Circle, getting interviewed about being PWI's 2021 Faction of the Year. Uh, he said they were going to dominate this company. I really hope he doesn't. It wasn't um, going to be the pinnacle, is it? Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, uh, and he talks about the, the the interim TNT Championship match with, with Sammy Guevara later on. says if Super L uh, tried to interfere, he's going to kick their ass, send them pack him. Um, the, my favourite interruption of the night, purely the way he entered the frame, Eddie Kingston's head just pops in uh, and he walks up and says, oh, what are you on about? Uh, says, by the way, those, you know, I'm still limping from what happened in that bonkers street fight on Rampage, but those two, hey, Santana and Ortiz, hey, hey, you all right. He <laughs> says, look, you'd be the tag team champions without this knobhead. Uh, Jericho fires up, uh, Santana and Ortiz tell everyone to calm down and you know, let's just focus on the most important things here. Uh, and Jericho said, "Look, as I said, if Matt and Jeff get involved later on, uh, then I'm gonna then I kick their ass. And if you get involved, Kingston, I'm gonna kick your ass." Gfy. And I liked Eddie Kingston just being like, what's "Gfy, man." Like he knows what it means, <laughs> but he's just completely no selling it. I, right, I was glad to see that this week in this segment and in the main event, the commentators weren't forcing us to choose Chris Jericho. I'm glad there was the sense that you were allowed to make a choice, much like Proud and Powerful, you're being allowed to make a choice here. 
But if I was proud and powerful, considering that like MJF was kind of penetrating in a circle, trying to tear them apart, like, would you not be getting a bit sick of Chris Jericho? Like I found myself like transporting myself into them and thinking, well, I'd go with Eddie Kingston. So like this felt as all the Jericho Kingston stuff has done really labored and asking you to almost like supplant unbelievable traits onto characters you desperately want to believe. It's more egregious because it almost destroys a match later on in the card. But I just get sad when any of this, this is an angle I dislike to the point where it makes me feel sad and it ruins the vibe of a show, even if it's a good one. Well, this uh, segment, I've got no thoughts. There's another buddy interrupted backstage bollocks. I could not give a toss. Like, I, the content of these segments is almost immaterial to me now because I'm only concerned about the frequency, frequency of them, how fake they make the world feel. I've not been in a Kingston Jericho from the start. No. I understand the booking patterns so intimately at this point that I know that when they do have a match, it's going to take forever to get there, at least make the journey interesting. Ugh, this isn't it, like, not it. Uh, super click Red Dragon there backstage. Um, Cole announces Chris Statlander isn't safe anymore. Britt Baker walks in and challenges Statlander and Orange Cassidy to a mixed tag match next week. Uh, we'll monster rating that'll get yeah. by relative to modern standards, that'll get a number. Uh, then we got Hangman Page, the AW World Champion, coming out. Got a fantastic reaction, as he should. Uh, he says, over the past month, he spent 19 minutes in the ring with one of the best in the world, all for the AW World Championship. But it's a new year. Uh, he's, he's, he's done what he needs to do. He's What was it he said? He spilled so much blood he could raise a boat or something along <laughs> those lines. Uh, but he says he needs a new challenger. And that challenger is Dan Lambert, apparently, who comes out uh, and slags him off in comparison to other cowboy wrestlers. Uh, Paige says, get to the point. Uh, and Lambert says, look, you know, I, you know, I know I'm saying this, but I respect you. He compliments Paige for his for what he's done. He says he didn't take the Cody Rhodes route of using backstage politics to get to the top. Uh, he's earned everything. So fair enough. Everything except that cowboy persona that he wears. Keep the title. Keep all the money. You deserve that. Just stop disrespecting the legacies. Stan Hansen and the like, basically. List loads more people. Uh, he says... Um, anyone from the Carolinas of the Vineyards trying to steal their clout comes off like they are full of cowboy shiz. Uh, Paige says, well, what? So if I grew up on a farm and I came here instead, in, instead of taking a, a 600, uh, six-figure contract, uh, is that a cowboy shiz? Anyway, in amongst all this, out comes Lance Archer. He has returned to fight the man who's probably hacked his Twitter. No, he's returned <laughs> to fight Dan Lambert. Uh, great to see um, Lance Archer back, first and foremost. And uh, Lambert is terrified, backs off, still got the mic, backs into the ring, says, I know you want to kill me, but don't forget, this guy's the world champion. He's just basically said who wants to fight him. And Lance Archer suddenly swerves, attacks Hangman Page, beats him down with a chair, uh, and even hits the blackout through a folded out chair. Always think they look so rough. Uh, but yeah, Lance Archer is back and he looks like, not to give him back and a compliment like I did on the news, Sige, he looks like the interim challenger between pay-per-views or, or at least a, one, a monster for a few weeks that uh, Hangman Page has got to take on. Yeah, he's a good one. He's great at the role. I don't think anyone could believably or justifiably think he can really go to main event level on terms of a quarterly pay-per-view 
Like, Tony Soprano's not going to die halfway through a season of The Sopranos, right? But you still think he's in peril halfway through when he's in certain scenes. These things have to happen. This is a very good version of it. We've seen Archer delivering that spot before. Helpfully, Hangman Page is an underrated lunatic with little regard for his own safety, so he will <laughs> get an awesome match with Lance Archer cooking. I think it'll feel dangerous. I think it'll feel big. Given that this was an interrupted promo segment when I was like, Jesus Christ, can we get some frigging wrestling on the show? That's where I was at when I saw Paige come out. And I love Paige. I didn't actually hate this. I didn't at all, remotely, in fact. I don't like Dan Lambert. I'm over Dan Lambert. I think AEW's better at generating conflict and the cheap heat that he does. I'm just completely over the Lambert character to the point that if he completely disappeared from AEW, I just wouldn't care at all. I think that Hangman Page in this segment, in terms of putting himself over as a cocksure champion, in terms of delivering a promo, I thought he was excellent. thought the belief that he had in himself was great. I think that this is a good direction for him to take. It's one of those match graphics that he didn't expect to thrill you as much. I was just grateful for a little bit of creative spark. Um, wasn't blow away great. I'm not overhyping it. I just genuinely think Hangman Page delivering a babyface promo in the spot as world champion did one of the best things on the show, as a world champion should do. Low curve, though. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's quite how much I love this or if it was just a desert rose on this <laughs> yeah. specific dynamite in, in terms of showing me a pairing that I actually wanted, mm. you know, a rivalry or a brief conflict that I actually wanted to see. Um, on the Lambert thing, I think they might have, because I'm very like pro Dan Lambert fundamentally, but I'm worried a little bit about the, it's a, it's a tricky one. This I don't like blaming crowds for anything, but I worry about exactly how the crowds receive Dan Lambert. And they might have addressed that by having him oppose Hangman Page because Lambert's ancient and archaic views of manhood contrast directly with what, everything they've established with Hangman Page. So kind of putting those two as like diametrically opposed as they are is ideal mm -hmm. because there's nobody better than Hangman Page to tell you the things Dan Lambert is saying are not the bits you're supposed to be cheering, you weird frat bro arsehole. <laughs> like, compare that to Chris Jericho, for example, yes. where they were basically just volleying the same patter off each other, but one was a goodie and one was a baddie. Like, they're the opposites that you're supposed to put Dan Lambert against. So I think that is ideal for the short term, at least. Um, and I genuinely liked that wrinkle, if this is how I'm supposed to have taken it, I don't know if you two saw it the same, of this not being a plan all along. Hmm. And Archer, having gotten nowhere with Jake Roberts, ultimately, like, it was held against him that he would always lose these big matches and he was always just a certain level guy. In kayfabe, having a moment of clarity and being like, well, I don't like this guy, but he is right. I am in here with the world champion who's just told us that he's wrestled 90 minutes. Why would I not? Mm. Maybe I find myself again and maybe I'll be that instead of the guy that gives him a fighting chance. So I even li I like that detail a great deal, even if it's just a short-term thing for the benefit of this program. This is what AEW does really well. We are talking for more than 30 seconds on something that we already ignore exists only as a roadblock. Uh, like great episodic booking. Yeah, exactly. He's, you know, he's not old, but he's not a young gentleman, Lance Archer. And he will, will know from the reason why he's been missing for so long that this industry can change like that. So why bother yourself with someone who's quite annoying, who you've already given a blackout to mm -hmm. when the world champ's there and openly said, right, who's next? Who wants what on stop? Yeah, I love that. That's an idea. Archer Page is going to be hog wild. Yeah. I can't wait for it. 
Uh, backstage, uh, time for another interruption. Uh, Arn Anderson's there with his son Brock and Lee Johnson. He talks about experience, says this is horseman country, and then in comes FTR and Tully Blanchard, uh, uh, who says if you want to relive that, you need to get rid of the dead weight, you need to join us. Uh, Arn says, all right, come on, that's my son. Uh, Cash Wheeler again. <laughs> I love Kesh Wheeler giving a microphone. More of that sort of thing, please. He says, we can make you proud, Dad. I think he may have said Dad. <laughs> uh, and they get, there's a challenge that Dax issues for, for next week. Oh, God. I'm not... It's not like I have an issue with FTR versus uh, Brock Anderson and Lee Johnson, because I don't. Like, it's fine. But Christ almighty, I need the lovely wrinkled brain busters to either fight or f- <laughs> I am absolutely sick of Tully and Arn going from like flashing their fingers and then it's like, oh, but we're on opposing sides. So we are who we are. We're stuck with who we are. Like AEW is absolutely a place where a bit of retro Southern stuff can go like hand in hand with the very sort of like sports entertainment adjacent MJF Wardlow split. You know, you can do that cool, big bombastic split. And then in, on the same night, have FDR want to do old school stuff. Have Arn Anderson be this like really important, like gravitas fueled, credible figure. But make your mind like make your minds up with Arn and Tully. I need to see them definitively hate each other and start battering each other in an old men fight, or Arn needs to turn or something because they are using this as a constant excuse to go back to match like instant matches like this. And I'm, I'm un, compared to like that first time when was it in Cody versus your memory is always better. Did you, was it in Cody versus Spears where Anderson kind of like chased Tully up the ramp and we were a bit like, oh, where's this going? Is that like back in it 20, went anywhere? So, yeah, Tully yeah, was like back in It was like, oh, are they gonna? What's gonna happen here? Is Arn does Arn want to like give him peace of mind and then they come together? There was a time when Arn flashed the fingers at the top of the ramp. I think it was while Tully and FTR were in the ring. Get to the point. Like I just, I, it feel like it's being used and abused mm. for instant match builds. I just don't know why this had to have a backstage segment, particularly when nothing's ever really going to go anywhere between on Tully beyond the nostalgia of them appearing on the same screen. You could infer, I guess, from do you know what I like? What I really like, we didn't get it tonight. The Jungle Boy, Jurassic Express, Christian Cage pre-tapes, where they just put their minute of promotional time on television and they don't get interrupted. FTR could have easily said something to the effect of the idea of Arn Anderson coaching the next Brain Busters is laughable. We are them and we will prove to them that we are it. You don't need some contrived fake thing, which again, I must point out, the more it happens, the faker it feels. Mm. Uh, Nice video package recapping Jade Cargill becoming... That bitch show, TBS champion. Uh, and then, oh, he got the good stuff again. Uh, Gary Shida versus Serena Deeb. Um, Shida doesn't learn, does she? She's loving coming out there, making her entrance. Serena Deeb threatened this last week. She said, I'm not going to be taking any prisoners. She uh, chop blocks Shida as she's walking down the ramp. Uh, tries to go after her leg with the kendo stick. Thankfully, Shida kicks that out of the way. But Deeb goes, that's fine. There's a million other ways I can ruin your leg. Drops her onto the steel steps with it. Uh, the match starts. And yeah, it's Deeb targeting Shida's leg. It only went a few minutes. Um, uh, in which point she puts the serenity lock on Shida, who doesn't tap out. The referee just calls the match because he has, as they explain quite rightly on commentary, he has to protect the wrestlers, even sometimes from themselves. Serena Deeb gets the victory. Get in. This feud must continue. Absolutely fine with that. But it's going to be a while yet 
because post-match, uh, Shida is already selling the leg and the knee. Um, Deeb gets the kendo stick and just wrecks it on uh, on Shida's leg, destroys Hikaru Shida. Hamlet is very giddy to talk about this, so I'm going to go to you first, Sige. I was on a red-hot show that had another women's match. I'll be kinder to this. Look, I will say it. I was subjectively in a bad mood from the start of the show, from before the show. So I just feel like this was not the show to do it on, but you didn't know that was going to be crap, realistically, when you book it, so they don't know. Um, I'm happy that it continues. It's a nice little best of five that they've worked. I won't talk about the move that started everything because I want Hamlet to put it over with more passion than I will. Um, I wish the crowd were more up for it. Mm. I really wish the crowd were more up for it. This is when I will blame a crowd. Yeah, I'll blame the goddamn crowd. Get behind <laughs> Um, yeah, I was just ready for a goddamn wrestling match. And it was one of those when you don't want to clock watch or, work, or you don't want to doubt what's being presented in front of you. But when I'm watching this match, I'm thinking, it's the top of the hour and there's three left. One of them is Matt Hardy, which I'm not asked about at all. No, so no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this was an angle more than a match. And yeah. yet they have still arrived at a best of five conclusion, which is really smart and really cool. Jesus Christ, my new New Year's revolution, uh, resolution for 2022 is to take up yoga so I can, no offence, Wilborn, chop block you in the office as cool as Serena Deeb. <laughs> because how she shapes her goddamn body when she hits those chop blocks are a thing of beauty. The Bret Hart comparisons are as much to do with the execution, the technique, and how smooth it all looks. My word. Like, she has built that up. Like, nobody I can remember since Steve Austin in 97 that it could be a finisher, like a leg breaker of a track. It's like she's going in two foot on a tackle when she hooks and then she slides her whole body around. So she's back in a position of control before the other person's hit the deck. Absolutely amazing. And I'm so glad that they included that spot again. It's always Sheena just like daring to take her eye off something for a second. And it's like, oh, there's a deep. Like that is going to play so much into there. What we can hope is maybe like a lights out match. Or yeah, yeah. a main event on the level of a Baker Rosa. Like we've reached that point now where it has to end in blood. It has to be the dynamite main event. They might not get it. Maybe I'm being too optimistic there, but this feels like that's where we're heading. If not revolution in like what the first time in again, I'd need Sidra acknowledge it. How long since there was like two potential singles women's pro like matches, like on a AW pay-per-view. So, you know, a great objective metric for how they're gradually improving. Uh, with the women's division, if you can put two singles matches on that are both feuds and are both serious issues based, I guess three, because you could have two title matches, couldn't you now? The women's title, mm-hmm. the TBS and Deep Sheeda. That would be a huge victory for the things that they've been trying to do in this division. Um, so yeah, more of an angle than a match. But again, like if you're going to borrow, borrow from the breast, uh, borrow from the breast, <laughs> borrow from the Brett, who is the best, um, because you've got the, the referee stoppage when they were fighting the khaki Quebecers at the Rumble 94 or Austin passing out in the sharpshooter. Like, these are awesome things to borrow from to get you to another match between the two. Inspired. A little bit of, because we we're ranting a lot on this show, so I always like a bit of fantasy booking when we're enjoying AEW. A little bit of fantasy booking. What if Ikara Shida, Brett's the female Brett, and either you've got the, the Vince McMahon, Brett, Leg broken. Oh, I'm not ready for a match. Oh, come on, have a match with me. Actually, my leg's fine. I'm going to fight you at the pay-per-view. Or possibly, I think I like this one more. The next time Hikaru Shida's out there, maybe she's not wrestling uh, Serena Deeb. She's making her entrance. And she's waving to the crowd, bloody idiot that she is. Serena Deeb sees her opportunity, goes to chop block the leg. Well, she's got a metal plate on it. Oh, my God. That is amazing. 
That is apps. Yeah, that's like uh, I was going to say in the match, you have uh, Dee put the sharpshooter on whilst uh, while uh, she just covered in blood, yeah, and they do the Austin spot where she screams with the blood raining down. But that, if you're going to pay a tribute, is so inspired. Like uh, this is it. This is the point, isn't it? And just while again, I'm going to whinge about match pairings. How excited are we all for Serena Deeb versus Sky Blue? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. going to kill her. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, Christine Cage, Jurassic Express, they're backstage. They send a nice well wishes. We all do here at What Culture to Ray Phoenix in his recovery. Uh, and they say, right, we're ready to defend these belts uh, against any top five team. Guess what happens? They get interrupted because in comes John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order to challenge them to a match on Rampage. Sige, anyone say, anything you want to say about this? Um, unlike the other backstage interviews that were interrupted, where I just didn't like the content even, to be honest. Christian Cage popped me daft here. It's love his disposition. It's such an arsehole. It's great. What's that line? He said, uh, oh, yeah, we wanted a top five team. So if you know one, you can tell him. Yeah. <laughs> He's awesome. I love him. I love him. Brilliant arsehole, isn't he? Yeah. I love him. Uh, right. Next, we got uh, Penta El Zero Miedo versus Matt Hardy. Skip. Oh, no. <laughs> we don't do that on this podcast, do we? Sorry. Um uh, Matt Hardy cuts a promo to the crowd's fantastic reaction, of course, saying he's going to delete uh, Penta and send him to the hospital to be with his brother. Um, a lot of crowd popping stuff here, back and forth. Delete, zero miedo chance. Uh, they do the glove stuff and then just start punching each other uh, to take us to commercial. When we come back, Penta takes control, sling blades, uh, backbreaker, that gets a two-count. Hardy fights back, gets a two-count off the back of a DDT. They're fighting on the top rope. Penta hits a stomp on a hanging Matt Hardy, but Hardy hits a side effect on the apron for another near fall. Um, goes to the twist of fate. Penta escapes, hits an insiguri, uh, but then Hardy goes up top just slightly, as he was justified on social media, I should say, distracts himself with Private Party. That means he misses the moonsault. Uh, Penta hits uh, the fear factor and gets the victory. Let's talk about the match first of all, because we've got a lot to talk about in the post-match as well, Hamplet. I thought the taunt stalling was shindy-rific from two wrestlers that should know better when they're on such a massive television stage. Uh, no excuse at this point. And I thought the rest of the match was too boring to apply much analysis to, which I hate for Dynamite matches, because the whole thing with even the good wrestling, and this is why we... Make the con why the contrast is so stark between Raw or NXT or SmackDown and Dynamite typically is because when AEW has a match that they know is good rather than great, it will be more about the details. It won't just be a body part, it'll be what came before for that wrestler or what's going to come in the future in the transplant seeds and give you little teasers. And if the best thing they've got is Matt Hardy getting ever so briefly distracted in order to feed into the private party Andrade stuff, I am just not buying what you're selling. Uh could not be asked for this. Instantly, I was annoyed in the first two minutes when opening promo segment, which, you know what, I'll go back and I'll say the one thing I liked about having an opening promo segment on this show was that it was implicitly told to the audience the fact that Adam Cole's doing it means we'll see him in the main event at Revolution. If nothing else, that opening promo segment functioned to get fans thinking Adam Cole's one of the biggest stars in the show and he's going to be at the main event of the paid. Really love that. It devolved into a promo train. So I was kind of annoyed by the fact that, oh yeah, it makes Cole seem like a big deal, but you can do that in a match. I was really up for some goddamn pro wrestling, didn't get it. Promo train sucked. And then 
before all of this kind of unfolded in this drab WWE way, we got the sudden announcement of Matt Hardy in a singles match. And I'm thinking, right, I'm like, go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> I might just go to bed. I was just, when people talk about like genuinely worthy conversations, like the women's division, progression, representation, I just feel all of it when I see Matt Hardy in the ring. I watched this match. And I agree at the taunts. I thought, you carnies. Why don't you move instead? If you're elite and you're given this elite platform, why don't you do some moving about? Why don't you do some working? Then when they finally started doing that, I thought, ah, that's rubbish as well. Maybe don't bother. <laughs> I felt like I was developing arthritis watching this match. Just there was no kinetic energy to it at all. You, The usual telling commentary calls, of, oh, I don't all of it. I thought, well, yeah, no, I didn't because the Matt Hardy can't really move very well. He doesn't have any mobility. The one vague, bright spot, if you wanted to bargain when you were watching this and f- not feel anything, if you wanted to bargain and think about something that might happen, you're thinking, all right, at least we'll, they're going to do something with Penta. People like him as a singles guy. No. <laughs> Matt, Hardy's, Matt Hardy's loss drove the only storyline that will matter on the back of this. Well, let's talk well. Rubbish. Rubbish. What, what came next? Because uh, post-match, uh, Penny gets a mic uh, and uh, addresses Malachi Black with Alex Abrahantes doing the uh, translation. Penta says uh, that he's going to show Black some respect. Uh, and at this point, immediately, the lights go out, lights come back up. Malachi Black is in the ring with them. He attacks Alex Abrahantes, takes down Penta with a high kick, uh, goes after the match, ma- uh, mask of Penta, Varsity Blondes slide him. Julia Hart's sort of waving them off. Um, and he, they, they surround him and, and uh, sort of sinister smile comes across <laughs> Malachi Black's face. He points at them. The lights go out again. And when they come back, Brody King is in the ring. I don't know a lot about Brody King. I'll hold my hands up. I said this on the news this morning with Andy. Um, I knew I knew it was going to be Brody King that was going to be the, the new member of the House of Black, but I didn't know a lot about him for my sins. He lights come back up, and I was like, "Look at that guy! He's like, like, not to say anything." Malachi Black on steroids. He's like all the tattoos, <laughs> and just he's bloody massive. Look at him! Uh, and yeah, he's he's wrecks I'll tell you that much now. Yeah, he wrecks everyone. <laughs> Uh, Penta Garrison Pillman Jr. Uh, he chucks Pillman Jr. into Garrison, uh, splashes Penta, cannonball sent on to uh, Pillman Jr. Um, Black stands up, looks at him. The House of Black is, is complete, or another member at least has been added. And he threw, I love him, throwing Griff Garrison into a power slam from Brody King. I've made my feelings known about Spooky Malachi Black. But I really liked Brody King's debut. What did you think, Sige? I felt sorry for him debuting on this night because mm-hmm. uh, just who cares? It was a rubbish dynamite. And um, it was weird optics wise in terms of babyface and heel positioning because before, like, Brody King looked like the guy who was going to save Malachi Black and be like a good dude because of it. I understand that Malachi Black has got existing conflicts with Varsity Blondes and indeed Pack and the Lucha Brothers hence why it was arranged in such a way but then when you miss the point of what it's all meant to be in the, the psychology of heels and baby faces you think well you've overbooked it then 
You've overthought it. You've overbooked it. You're adding too many elements. Because if you arrive at a scene where it looks like the heel isn't quite getting his comeuppance in the fairest of ways, you've completely overbooked it. So I didn't feel like the way that everything's built towards this moment was effective. If you're debuting this, essentially, what you're what you're doing is essentially you're debuting this like six foot three, three hundred pound satanist, right? <laughs> if he's looking somewhat heroic or just, then you've got a problem. You've got a problem, and the, the problem has arisen from overbooking all of this all of the goddamn time right now. Yeah, like Malachi Black's got, they're spreading him way too thin, and like half the time, it doesn't feel like he wins that much. So, really, it's not like the, it's not a, about winning, it's about a, changing people. It's about, sorry, yeah, I forgot that's what they said from the very beginning. In the first, it's in Cedric's book, the very first press conference. <laughs> we want to make this more about a changing people style framework. Um, no, I want to. It's, it's, it's like me and Cedric never do this on the podcast, but I think it's about time we put ourselves over. When you saw them, when you saw them stood together, I do take Cedric's point about the framing of this as a like heroic save, but how awesome Brody King was and how physically dominant the two of them looked and how when they stood next to each other in the same trunks, no less. Did we not, weeks ago, assure people that no matter how much toxic juice or spooky changes were going on in people's lives, what an awesome addition these two would make to a tag team division that kind of needed yeah. them. And didn't you feel that instantly? I don't particularly like this story. I don't particularly like the lore of Malachi Black. I don't even really like the name that um, Excalibur, who had his notes, bestowed upon them. What was it? The kings of the Black Thrones oh, of yeah. Hades. I don't like, uh, I don't, I don't like that's, that's That's Malachi's thing. That's not like it's where it's not my thing, but what is <laughs> what is is seeing them two stood next to each other as me and Cedric both called. It will absolutely be fine when you do away with the nonsense and you put them in a tag division that kind of needs them. Like they're gonna rule. Like you just felt it instantly. I don't know if it was because like Brody King was wearing like those like wet look pleather trunks that Black was wearing as well. Mm-hmm. It was like they're a team. The tattoos almost look like they got them together on the same day on a very, very dark Satanist stag do. And they're just going to like, they're going to like wreck teams. And it's going to be fun. I don't want much more of Malachi Black and the Varsity Blondes, but I want that tag squash. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this. So it was a very impactful debut, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and yeah, second favourite gear on the show after Wardlow's, of course. Oh, God, oh, we didn't even talk about Wardlow's white boots and the white trim on his singlet. Jesus Christ. On the week where the baby face turn was teased. He looked amazing. Uh, backstage, uh, we've got Chris Statlander, Red Velvet, and of course, God bless you. God bless me. God bless. Right, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they're talking about the fact they've got this uh, six-woman tag on Friday's Rampage. But Chris Statlander is, is going, yeah, never mind all that bollocks. I've got a mixed tag next week with Cole and Baker. Uh, and Hirsch isn't happy. She's saying she's selfish for not focusing on what's coming up sooner. Uh, and uh, Red Velvet has to effectively separate. Then you like this, uh, Hamlet. I did. Um, I liked it's any opportunity where you get a woman's angle that is independent of a title is a massive step forward for AW. And why I know that there is tension between Leila Hirsch and um, Chris Statlander is because stuff has been happening on Dark that they told us about on Dynamite last yeah. week. This is really joined up thinking that we've never seen enough of. And I think it's important to isolate that for praise, not least when it's in a division that doesn't typically get the spotlight. This would be the sort of thing where like, did you see what Matt Hardy did on Dark Elevation? <laughs> like, And then you would have a backstage thing. And as I always want, when you're having on-camera squabbles like this, and we have this with WWE, it's like, why would you wait seven days and only have this interaction now? 
plausible deniability. It was kind of Chris Statlander at fault here, so that when this turn comes, Leila Hirsch is going to turn on Chris Statlander, and Chris Statlander should have seen it coming. We can buy it in care because she's been too obsessed with the, the mixed tag. So they've given you, like, it's, it's those details that I think on a show where there was a lot of things that didn't feel very thought through, this absolutely has been. Leila Hirsch is great. It's time for a first proper programme, and this is going to be it. Unmoved. Oh. oh. It was our uh, read now, it's Danny. Look, it's if this makes it to Dynamite and or Rampage, yes, up for it. This is not to be fair, this is something that I've been begging them to do. Like a dark recap. I'm not only storyline beats, this is the first part they've done, but I hold them to a high standard. I also want to see like who's getting the wins on dark, right? What I would love to see is Silver and Reynolds, apparently top five. Why? <laughs> if, uh, who's killing it on dark like who's killing it on dark like, something like that but like not as lame you know what I mean ones to watch on dark or whatever a minute to make coherent the idea Silver and Reynolds were in the top five I'm, nah. <laughs> I've wrestled a tag match on Dynamite in about two years so more, more of this but this is a good start uh, speaking of tag we get another tag match it was Bear Country against oh god the- I thought it was the main event Honestly, genuinely, it's like the raw feeling. I'm getting hungry. Like this, this this is happening. I'm starving, me. Starving today. So, uh, Max Caster, when he's doing this, is the brilliant acclaimed rap when he comes down. He mentions Novak Djokovic, of course, uh, and shoots on Sting and Darby Allen. More on that in due course. Uh, In the match, Bear Country overpowers the acclaimed early on. Uh, Bowens fights back though. Love that to Bowens, man. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gets a thrust kick. Uh, him and Caster take advantage. Uh, Caster hits a, a cross diving crossbody to take us to the break. Uh, when we come back, Boulder, um, Bear Boulder is uh, is fighting them off on, on his own. Gets uh, gets back into it. Well, that was when he uh, sorry Bear Boulder came in. I got the hot tag and was fighting both of them off on his own. Set up for the bear bomb. Caster managed to avoid it. Rolled him up for a two count. Uh, they hit the mic drop. The acclaimed get the victory. But post match, Sting makes his entrance. As they're backing off, back down the ramp towards the ring, they turn around and Darby Allen does one of his bloody lawn darts through the ropes to, to, uh, to take out Caster. Bowens gets hit with the, the bat by Sting and eventually Sting hits the Scorpion death drop for them to stand tall, Hamflet. I'm not sure, to be honest. It felt The match felt like filler and Bowens shone at points, but it wasn't really good enough or memorable enough to have anything to say about. Um, Darby Allen's dive with the Ghetto Blaster was great. Like his dives are obviously unlike anybody else's. So when you make it weapons assisted, it's even better. And Sting, <laughs> Sting further battering it with the bat was quite a funny visual. But I'm going back to parents I'm just not asked about. They showed you this weeks ago and it didn't feel that engaging then. So the fact that we're still kind of gobbling up TV time on matches, that are, well, angles that are masquerading as matches to get to the point. Like I remember when the get to the point problem was the exception like, can we just get to Arcade Anarchy, please? And like, otherwise the rest of the show is brilliant. It's totally flipped. And there's all of these get to the point things that I'm not bothered about while there's one good thing in the middle or something like that. And this is another case of that. Nothing I saw was actively bad, but I didn't feel much for any of it. Yeah, no, I'm completely with you. Like this match was just so forgettable. I'll never remember that had happened in a million years, which is not ideal because you're trying to get the acclaimed into a bigger, trying to elevate them into a bigger rivalry. I was promised a music video. So when they were retreating up the ramp, oh, following yeah. their oh, yeah. the viral one. 
Yeah, when I was retreating, when they were retreating up the ramp, and I you got the bum 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 sting thing. I was expecting them to like feign, like being scared of Sting's arrival, and then it would throw to the screen as them dressing up as Darby and Sting with face paint and doing their video and having a big laugh before you do the actual angle. So I was disappointed that not enough thought. I like I could fake out, and I was primed for a good fake out. We didn't get the fake out. We just got a pretty okay match that just was. Who can we have the acclaim beat in a very obvious outcome to get to the Darby and Sting spot of the night? When you can feel the hand of the author doing boring things, I will tune out. Two matches, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, again, number one. Yeah, again, number one in the podcast charts and stop giving Sidgwick grief on Twitter. Highlighting a completely dropped cold thing that was promoted. And then I, I had completely forgotten about that. And I thought it was actually quite a cute line. We're going to make a viral video. It's quite a funny thing to say. And they just dropped it. Just didn't do it. That's slapdash, isn't it? Yep. Uh, intri- intrigued to know what you thought of the uh, video package that we got next with Pack. Uh, in my memory, looking back on this, I thought for a split second, there was the phrase, Dr. Bastard. <laughs> I think it was a doctor saying, Mr. Bastard. Yeah, but Mr. Still, Bastard. We've got bad news, Mr. Bastard. <laughs> Uh, he's he's blind. He's got the the cloth over his eyes. It's a, is it alluding to a game? Do you say to me, someone? Yeah, somebody about? tweeted me about Dark Souls. Yeah, no idea. I wouldn't know me ask one hand with that game. No, if it's not if it's not the uh, get the cars scoring football goals, we're not interested. <laughs> thanks very much. Um, it's not Rocket League. Miss me on that. Um, but anyway, Pax uh, blind, but he's still he's still blind, but he now sees everything. He's not angry. He appreciates the blessing. Now his perspective is different, Michael Sidgwick, but his vision has never been so clear. Um, look, Pack can get away with this. Is it? I'm certain it's like the Beyond Gorilla guy who will have filmed this. Look, the, the, the prospect of some kind of blindfold match terrifies me. I don't think that's happening. And maybe I don't know what's going on here. I was, I was more anxious. I was more anxious than I was hyped. There's some admittedly cool visuals here. Like Pac looked terrifying, even, even in an ostensibly vulnerable position. Like Pac still looks absolutely terrifying and like you could kill you. So I guess it worked. It's just not really my kind of thing, but Pac looks cool. I much, guess. Much the same. I don't really want him dragged into law. Maybe Malachi Black has realised that wins and losses do matter. So he's just aiming to stick up about 80 of them for all the programmes he's in. Well, if I win them all, it's like having games in hand in, in football in the league. It's like, well, as long as I win all of them, I'll be number one in the rankings. I like the idea of uh, Pac becoming, uh, if you've ever seen the book of Eli, Denzel Washington. I haven't. Uh, well, it's a big spoiler coming up. So if okay. you don't want to know about it, right. skip forward 30 seconds. Uh, to reveal at the end that uh, Denzel Washington's character is blind and he's kicked loads of ass in the film. Okay. And it's like, oh, by the way, he couldn't see. More of that from Pac, absolutely <laughs> fine by me. But like you say, I have no idea what's going on here. Uh, Sid, I'm going to stick with you because I want to know what you thought of Matt Hardy backstage with Tony Schiavone, furious about the, the match. He said maybe he's focusing too much on the future. He should focus on himself. Something's got to change. In comes Andrade El Idolo, who says, tranquilo, take it easy. Uh, he says... Matt says he needs to focus, and Andrade says, "Look, we're businessmen. You're a businessman. I'm a businessman. We both bloody love money." Um, and he wants to negotiate some sort of deal with Matt uh, that's going to benefit the both of them. And Matt says, "I'm in. I'm. I'm. I'm intrigued. Uh, let's discuss this. Discuss this. Not, but not with bloody private body, and not with the prying eyes of the cameras. Let's go to my private quarters." Uh, this is the moment where I told my television to, you know, just just break. 
<laughs> I don't care at this point. Give me an excuse not to watch the rest of the show. Just break if you want. Make sure that I don't see any of this next week. Just malfunction. Break if you want. Survive if I let you. Honestly, <laughs> my throat, my phone almost made it across the entire room. <laughs> I didn't have kids. If I had enough kids that I didn't want to wake up so early, and you risk making very irritable for the rest of the day and for the evening, like. Francis wouldn't hear it, it would be fine. <laughs> I would have thrown my phone against the door. I was so viscerally irritated. So you get the two, it's a whole union of my two least favorite things. <laughs> Your 18th interruption per the statistical data involving Matt Hardy. <laughs> I wrote a book on this, right? <laughs> Possibly at the right time. It has risen. It's falling now. Amazon.co.uk.com, wherever. <laughs> Did I imagine that Andrade Keith Lethal promo I enjoyed last week? I wish to buy that boy. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That was piss funny, right? And then we get this as their sort of, ah, oh, what you've got? I wish to buy that boy at home. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's playing Monopoly. He just wants to buy everything, build hotels, and then he's going to win the game. Yeah. Um, and that's why Monopoly is fundamentally rubbish because one person doesn't they? like what's the point in going on four more hours? Yeah, and that's how I feel about Andrade. What's the point in watching any more Andrade when it's just not like it's just not going to be a thing, is it? Like, so he's going to buy private party off Matt Hardy or whatever. He's done this with FTR, it wasn't that great, but he's done it. We've had this angle, we're getting another version of it, probably as a means to get into Darby Allen and mm. Sting, who uh going to enter what looks like the second pairing of matches in a row that I don't want to watch with Darby Allen and Sting. God damn it. Just, just book better. Yeah. <laughs> just book better. you got all these men. Just book better matches and feuds. Speaking of which, you know when uh, Tony Khan plays Monopoly, you know what character he plays as? The dog. Uh, right. Main event time. It's Sammy Guevara versus Daniel Garcia for the interim TNT Championship. Little nice thing there for all the Fulham fans listening. Uh, David on. Crockett again is out there to present the title. Jericho's ringside, Kingston's ringside. They're having back and forth during this match. And I just want to watch Sammy Guevara versus Daniel Garcia because I really quite enjoy those two fighting. We said we liked the build as much as it came from nothing at the Battle of the Belts when me and Sid did the review of that. We talked about it yesterday on the preview. And yeah, these two just kicking the crap out of each other. It's really quite enjoyable for me. They, they just brawl to start off with. They just trade punches. They trade slaps. They are scratching and clawing at each other to get any sort of advantage. Uh, Guevara sends Garcia to the floor. Flip dives out onto him. Uh, but Garcia catches as they get back into the ring, catches Guevara with a backbreaker to take us into the break. Um, Garcia, when we come back, blocks the GTH, puts him in this deep scorpion deathlock, wrenches back on it. Uh, but Guevara manages to escape. Uh, Sammy manages to hit him with a bit of an iffy looking crossroads. Uh, so he goes for a springboard. Loved this spot. Springboards right into a choke uh, sleeper from uh, Daniel Garcia. Uh, he also hits Guevara with a, with a pile driver that gets him at a near camp. Here comes 2.0, though. They attack Eddie Kingston. They attack Chris Jericho at ringside. Um, in amongst all this, one of them, I apologize. I think it was Matt jumps up on the apron, distracts Sammy Guevara. And I genuinely bought for a split second because of what we talked about on the preview yesterday. Genuinely bought that Garcia was going to steal one via a roll up. 
but Sammy Guevara kicks out, sends um, Garcia, I think, into Jeff, who was on the other uh, the other apron, uh, catches him, catches uh, Garcia as he comes back. Uh, GTH, one, two, three. But again, it's not about this. It's not about the interim championship. It has to be about something else. Crockett presents the championship to Guevara. In comes 2.0 to attack. But Jericho and Kingston make the save. And then, well, Jericho mainly makes the save. He's wailing on people with the bat. Kingston wants to kick one of 2.0's head in. And Jericho just twats the guy with the bat instead. And Kingston's all fired up about not being able to unleash his anger on him. And they push and shove each other. And that... Michael Hamflet is the closing image of AW Dynamite and sums up everything I think that we've been saying frustrated us with this show. Yeah, we often talk about in this podcast our different um, experiences of how we watch these shows and how it can influence our takes. I really wanted to enjoy this match, but as I was watching it, my six-year-old and my eight-year-old persistently were both going, Dad, 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 look at me. Don't watch the match. Dad, look at me. No, it wasn't my six-year-old and my eight-year-old. It was Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho, wasn't it? <laughs> that would stop me watching this match. Um, I intrusion, especially from our old hard camera carny Chris Jericho, he knows where to stand, uh, to the point of ruination, because everything you described in that recap should have been given the room to mm, breathe. This yeah. was where I like it crystallized this TNA thought in my head. They would do this all the time on TNA. That roster, they, they had no right to it because they didn't appreciate it. And that felt like what I was watching. I didn't even really love the idea of this interim title match, but I wanted to, and I wasn't being permitted because of the flexing of a man and the rivalry he clearly desperately campaigned for when he saw where Eddie Kingston was last year. I cannot buy into the fiction of this one bit because I feel completely consumed by the probable facts. And poor old um, Crockett, by the way, he just goes to these buildings. He just wants to shake a champion's hand without being interrupted by an attack. That's twice now. <laughs> like he's taken this call off Cody before. Hey, I've, got, I've won this belt. I'd love you to come out and present me with it. And then he arrives. Where's Cody? He invited me. Uh, he's not here. That's bad. I mean, you can still do it if you want, but you might you might be attacked by a guy swinging a bat or and something he, like that. And he's got the goodness not to be shown yawning on camera during a TNT championship. showing respect to the rule. I a mess. A total mess. Um... It's funny that we've lingered a little bit on the um, closing shot of Kingston and Jericho. Go, Kingston and Jericho going nose to nose. How Jericho has the goal to try and sell this as real. That going nose to nose as the graphic comes up. I know this wasn't how that dynamite ended, but it is funny that you're left with the memorable, you know, the Dark Order Phantom Punches as the show's going off the air. That lasting lingering shot can represent something. And I kind of think it did here for this episode. I often, you know, I often come in and say that the last moment of a show, whether it be Raw, NXT, SmackDown, Dynamite, Rampage, whatever it is, something in my brain goes, that's how you feel about this show, which is why sometimes I'll come in and go, that role was pretty good. And you go, well, there was two hours and 45 minutes, absolutely <laughs> dreadful. And then the main event was quite good. And I go, oh, yeah, that's why. But like it, like I said to, to Hamfootage, this crystallized my feelings on this show. Yeah, I've got complaints that extend beyond that as well. Look, when you were allowed to enjoy it, the wrestling here was very good. Without being like great, but it was very, very good. Hmm. The tone of it was really nice. Um, generally felt like they did not like each other. It's very rare that I get that feeling watching a professional wrestling match. And I appreciate the effort they put into crafting that. And then I enjoyed because they don't like each other. They told the story of, well, prick, 
I'm going to beat you with my style, my preferred way of doing it. And Daniel Garcia, in response, like, no, you're not, dickhead. Stop flying about. I will trap you, and I will hurt you, and I will attempt to end you. And then the 2.0 guys were getting on the apron, and Jericho and Kingston were doing it. And you can lose yourself in this really nice strategic match-come fight. I think Daniel Garcia is great because I'm a wrestling nerd. You both think that Daniel Garcia is great because you're wrestling nerds. There are people who will put him over on Twitter, rightfully so. The guy's a prodigy who watch beyond and indies of their stature, watches incredible matches with Alex Shelley and the like, and think this guy's great. I'm really reluctant to sound like the worst person on wrestling Twitter and think of the ground that cover covers. <laughs> think about the quote unquote casual fans. People think when they make this argument up, and I'm not doing it, that there are 5 million people, right, who stopped watching wrestling 20 years ago and think, you know what? I'm waiting for the promotion that it can be as great as Vince Russo's WWF. Is it AEW? No, it isn't. Back away I go to my new interest, just waiting, ready for it. <laughs> they moved on. These casual fans have moved on. There are more casual fans. There's a, like, a, a spectrum from intense devotion to, oh, I'll watch AW casually, or this will be the one thing that I'll watch. They are thinking, Daniel Garcia, yeah, he's good, but he loses all the time. He's not winning this match. And that accounts for the dead atmosphere at the start of the match, this complete lack of a big main event feel. They don't go into it thinking, oh, this will be a great match. They'll be going into it thinking, oh, I know the result of this one already. And the work was so good at points, or like pretty damn great at points, that they'd started to make a reaction. But is that because the stars were on the outside? I don't know. What pisses me off is when they make a mug of my takes. Last week, we were, or earlier this week, oh, I can't remember, time's lost all meaning. No, it was earlier this week. We, I was saying how AEW did a better job in the, the match and the post-match of making an interim title feel bigger than WWE do their normal titles. And yet this was just all in service of Chris Jericho's thing of the week. And it just felt like background to that. Rampage isn't going to cheer me up anyway, looking at the lineup, but let's say story for another day. Like you said, this wouldn't be the main event. No offense to the guys in it. This wouldn't be the main event of Dynamite if it hadn't been Chris Jericho saying, well, it needs to go at the main event because the closing image needs to be me and Kingston. Yeah, it, we do this all the time in with WWE coverage, and it's ultimately what has killed a lot of people's enthusiasm for it. You don't watch it and just buy into the kayfabe universe that you're, as you would with any film or TV show, you're instead thinking about the wrestlers and what daft thing Vince has said to them and all that sort of stuff. It, it belongs nowhere near a competent wrestling show, and maybe that's why this didn't particularly feel like one. Uh, really interested to know your thoughts on everything we've discussed. Do let us know on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamflit at... Michael Hamflit. You can follow Michael Sidgwick at... M. Sidgwick. You can follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at WhatCultureWWE. And make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, including tomorrow, of course, our preview of AEW Rampage. But for now, this has been the AEW Dynamite Review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us. And we will see you soon. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. 
We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.